Every Sunday, we are one Sunday closer to warm. That's right. It just keeps, it keeps inching along, inching along, and we won't be, won't be long. It'll be Easter, and then we'll be back out on the beach. It'll be great. Until then, we have sunshine today, yeah, and we have some warmth, and it does feel good. And it's great to have you here in, in God's house in Shanahan, Southfield. Uh, good to see you today. Yeah. Did you have a good weekend? Did, yeah. yeah. Very busy, but very yeah. good. Yeah. Well, good. We've got a whole bunch of stuff going on today. Uh, some uh, fun changes around, uh, for example, as you go over to, to check-in, we've had a little uh, clog up recently at the, at, the, at the check-in yeah. station, so uh, we've got a... Which a is a good thing. Oh, absolutely. A lot of young families, a lot of La- kids, love it. Laptop there to enter new families, yeah. as well as if we have overflow, there is an unmanned, so mm-hmm. working on all that, getting all that going today, hopefully get that going even more smoothly than before, and just a, a lot of fun stuff. A lot of fun stuff going on, and uh, this coming week and toward the end of the month, we have a couple things that really, really matter. So we, we're doing this uh, Parent Night Out uh, ministry together, yeah. and what do you know about that? Well, it's really cool. <clears throat> so it's the last Friday in March, which is heading into what most of our area schools are calling spring break. Um, so it, it gives parents, a, or will give parents a a night to breathe before they have to be home with their kids all week. So um, again, it's, a, it's just a chance for us to, to not only serve the parents, but I think it's, it's really cool that we get to serve the kids. So kids from the community, kids from Shanahan will be here, and, and we're not just going to sit them down and plop them in front of a movie. We're actually going to be playing games and interacting mm-hmm. with them. And so that's, it's going to be a, a really cool chance for, for you to get involved in that way if, uh, if you've been looking for a way to, to get plugged in and just serve for a night. This isn't a long-term serve. It's literally one night. Um, we'd love to have you sign up for that because we're still looking for, uh, for some volunteers for that. So like so many things that we do around here, you can, you can only serve as many people as you have servants. Mm-hmm. So you, we need you to sign up by March 1st for that so we have a good feel for who we have in terms of who we can invite. And if you go <clears> look at the, the times, it says the times vary because we're still working out uh, what that'll look like on that, on that night. So. And then the other thing, this week at 6 o'clock on Tuesday, uh, we're going to be doing a, a simulcast with a bunch of people about LifeWise, learning more about that. So I, I thought a good way to, to kind of get into LifeWise this morning is to watch a video. It's a, it's a testimonial video, but I, I just, I'll tell you what, I watched this early on in this process and I'm like, I'm hooked, I'm sold, I love it. So let's watch this together. So we got the flyer in the mail and I'd never heard of like a Bible-based program. And I just felt like it cannot hurt. Christian was brand new to even the word Bible. Christian was very interested in where church was and what it was. So Christian didn't grow up in church, but he's kind of always had this hunger. He was in LifeWise and he was coming home and telling me stories, so excited about it. It's his favorite part of the day. And he's like, I wanna go to church. And I'm like, okay. And Mrs. Romer reached out to me and was like, hey, I just wanted to invite you and your family to church. This was around like September of 2021. And we went and we loved it. And so now we're regularly attending that church. Sure enough, they end up coming to our church and God's doing some really cool things in their family. But then also uh, their son, Christian, 
Uh, he's having a big impact. I talked all about Jesus and how he paid the price for our sins. And now we can, our relationship with God is restored because of his death on the cross. So, and that was kind of how I ended it. Well, I walk away and this boy named Christian um, brings over a small group leader and he wants to talk with me. He comes up to me and he's like, Mr. Mark, um, I just, I, you know, I heard what you talked about and I just want to make sure you know that Jesus rose again. Did you know that? Like three days later, he, he rose and he's alive. And I said, Christian, I was like, yes, I did know that. And I'm so excited that you know that. I mean, really, it's, it's changed the life of our whole family. We're going to church every Sunday. You know, Christian gave his life to God in his last day of life wise. He needed somebody to pay for a sentence, so he let it, God let it, him live a long life, and then he had to die because he had to pay, um, he had to, somebody had to die for our sins. You know, to think if I hadn't signed him up, I don't even know what our lives would look like. And like our story, it might not just be, you know, 20 minutes in a classroom, it might lead somebody to a church and change a whole household. Just, it's so cool, so cool. So we're, we're looking at this opportunity. Uh, one of the things that's provided through a Supreme Court ruling is that uh, kids can be released from school for an hour to get religious-based education. And uh, it would be basically weekly that kids would come over, enjoy that time here. And obviously you see some of the end result, that it's not just about uh, teaching, but it's really about life change, having the opportunity uh, to present the gospel and 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 just stories about God, so that they can get that connection with God. So well, on top of that, it, as you may have noticed at the beginning of the video, it talks about Bible-based character education. So they're learning things like patience, like kindness, but learning why. Why does patience and, and kindness? Why do those things matter? Without a moral code, they really don't. Without a, a, without a foundation, without knowing the the reason why we do those things, you're going to struggle trying to get your your kids to do those. And part, you know, to be kind, to be patient, to, to do those things. So I, I think it's going to be a, a really cool approach. That uh, yeah, it's going to be good for our kids. So we want to keep really focused on those two things today. Yeah. Those are the things that were really, in fact, even when you received your your update this week, two things, two things. So get signed up to help with the the night out, and if you can be here uh, Tuesday night at six to learn more, we'd love to have you here for that. So we've been, we've been going through this series that we're calling uh, Going Deeper, and I promise by the end of the series, I'll finally get the title right. <laughs> I've called it everything from growing deeper to going deep to deep everything time. else. And, yeah, all over, the, all over the map, going deeper, we're going deeper. And we have worked our way through, uh, through do the doctrine of God the Father. We love God the Father. We love God the Son. We love God the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to be looking at God's Word. Mm -hmm. And every week that we've been doing this series together, we've started by talking about a heresy. A heresy, again, is not simply a disagreement. It's not you don't believe the same thing I believe. It's undermining the very nature of God, the very nature of the gospel. And in this case, the heresy undermines the nature of Scripture. So there's this fellow named Marcion, and Marcion is one of the earliest heretics in the church. And, and, and I, it's interesting because I, I think that so often it's sad that a person can't just accept what God has to say, 
but they have to make it make sense. And in the process of making it make sense, sometimes you can weave a tremendous heresy. Mm -hmm. So if you wouldn't mind, I, I just have these paragraphs right there so that you have the, the words before you, but this is a definition of what's known as Marcionism. Hopefully someday you won't be a heretic yeah. and we'll have Brianism, yeah. okay? But this is named, okay. a, named after Marcion, Marcionism. Go ahead. The Old Testament scriptures are not authoritative for a Christian. Marcion denied that the God of the Old Testament was the same God presented in the New Testament. For Marcion, Jesus was the Son of God in the New Testament, but not the Son of the deity described in the Hebrew scriptures. The deities in the Old and New Testaments were literally two different gods. Marcion did not deny the existence of God of the Old Testament. He simply classified this God as a secondary deity, one that was inferior to the supreme God revealed in Jesus. So there, we've got a few more paragraphs to go, but, but to just kind of get the basics here, it's, this is no different than even what some evangelicals believe today, that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Yeah, I don't like the God of the Old Testament right. versus the, yeah. The angry God, the God of war, yeah. all that sort of thing, versus Jesus, the God of love. Right. And, and they try to split the two yeah. instead of seeing that they're, that they're that they're the same God. Mm -hmm. And then he starts taking it a step further by saying, well, if the God of the Old Testament is not God, then we're just going to say the Old Testament doesn't matter. So he gets pretty creative. Let's keep going. Marcion held that Jesus was the only revelation of the supreme God, but that Jesus should not be seen as having fulfilled Old Testament messianic prophecies. Rather, Marcion saw the prophecies as predicting a yet-to-come earthly savior of the Jewish nation. What Marcion was endorsing was a radical discontinuity between Old Testament Judaism and the message of Jesus and the Apostle Paul. So we've talked about this before, the discontinuity between Old Testament and New Testament. And, you know, there are some groups, I actually like the way they term it. Rather than referring to the Old Testament and New Testament, they refer to the Older Testament and the Newer Testament. To basically, old sounds like, oh, we don't need that one anymore. We like new, new, new. We're Americans. We like new. But older and newer says it's all part of the same thing. It's just here's the first half, here's the second half. It's one Bible, one story, 66 books, but one story coming together. So he, here, he starts to get fun. Given Marcion's complete separation of the God of the Hebrew Bible from the God revealed in Jesus... It should be no surprise that he also rejected the authenticity of many New Testament documents. Any apostolic writing that did not comport with his, with his theories was eliminated until all that remained of his collection of authoritative books were ten of Paul's letters, minus First and Second Timothy and Titus and a highly edited version of the Gospel of Luke. So he does what a lot of us do figuratively. He did it real reality. He pulled like out the exacto yeah. knife and yeah. said, okay, first, vroom, let's get rid of the old. Like, and then he starts going after Gospels, cha -cha 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 -cha, just splitting them up. That's yeah, like the claw in Toy Story, just picking what he yep, wants. Yep. Yeah. I don't know why he loved Luke as opposed, to the, as opposed to the others. Luke is the one Gospel writer who's actually not one of the apostles. So, but he, he went after Luke, and, but even Luke got, got, a cool name. got split up a little bit. Here you go, last paragraph. Marcion saw Paul as the only legitimate apostle, but even Paul's writings suffered under Marcion's scalpel. Any passage that identified the God of the Old Testament with the Father of Jesus was removed. While it is true that most New Testament books were recognized as Scripture from a very early date, it is likely that Marcion's truncated canon forced the church to become precisely blissed or, I'm sorry, two more precisely list which books carried apostolic authority. 
So I think when we come to our own times, when we see different, whether it's religious movements, commercials, you name it, whatever, whatever's coming at us, and we're looking at it going, is this good? Is this bad? Is that, you know, it, it uses the word Jesus. Oh, let's get excited. We, we need to stop and ask ourselves the question, is this presenting a holistic view of who God is or just a favorite attribute of who God is? We can, we can drill love, 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 and God is love. By definition, God is love. But God is not only love. God is also, uh, God is also just. God, is also, God also is a God of wrath. All these things go into who God is, and so that helps us to understand better uh, the nature of God. So don't be a Marcionist. You want to avoid that. And it's funny how as you come over even to modern times, there are many who would espouse Marcionism, even though they wouldn't know, wouldn't know the label. So we're talking about God's Word today, and so I have uh, three more books for you to add to that mighty reading list that you've got going already. What we did for you this week, if you looked in the update, we, we actually have a link to, a, I think they call it an Amazon suggestion list, or I don't know, whatever, they have some goofy name for it. And you don't have to buy it through Amazon if you want, but it gives you all the different books that we've talked about up until now. And I thought that in, in talking about the Word of God, rather than just looking at the theology of the Word of God, I wanted to look at some methodology. How do you go about Bible study? I think for a lot of us, we want to know more about, about the Bible, but, but you can't have Brian with you every day. And so you're like, what do I do? How do I dig into more of what's going on in the Word of God? This is actually one that, um, that, I, that I had to read in, in college, and you can tell why I was thrilled to read it. Yeah. Very, 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 very thin. And a lot of space, this is, too, yeah. This is by a woman named Aletta Wald, and... Um, and she goes through what would be known as basic inductive Bible study. So observe, interpret, apply. We'll be talking more about that today. But if you're looking at just a basic, what are the things I should be observing? How do I interpret? She does a nice job with that. I feel like I should be doing more Vanna. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the more extended version is by Howard Hendricks, professor at Dallas Seminary for many, many years. And this was just kind of, he was known for uh, being a, a man who taught pastors uh, how to dig into the Word of God for themselves. And so this is a very, it's a much more extensive virgin, version of Aletta Wald's book, and it even has a workbook for practice and everything else, but oh my goodness, there's a video too, but honestly, about three minutes into the video, it makes for a great nap. <laughs> so I just, I'd stick with reading. It's just, it, it doesn't quite cut it the way you would hope, but nonetheless, uh, very good to, again, and it's, it says the, the art and science of reading the Bible. And then the final one, a little more popular view, this is Rick Warren, and, and he just lists 12 different Bible study methods, ways that you can go about, whether it's a character study, a word study, whatever it might be, but it gives you some different things, and, as well as uh, practice sheets mm -hmm. to get into those a little bit. So um, I thought it was important today, like I said, rather than just talking about a theology of the Word of God, to say, these are some of the tools that you could use to dig into the Word of God. So, thanks, Brian. You're, you're a great book holder. I appreciate that. Here's what I really, uh, we, we were talking today about we love the Word of God. And, and I, I love the way this has come together because last week we're talking about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's role in our life. And, and the Spirit flows so beautifully into the Word. The two 
go together so well because it's spirit. It's the spirit who, who gives us the word through inspiration. It's the spirit who helps us to understand the word. So as, we, as we're talking last week about being indwelled by the spirit and being filled by the spirit, being guided by the spirit, being mentored by the spirit, all these pieces come together beautifully when you turn to looking at the word of God. So I want to look at two things today. I want to look at basically the nature of the Word of God, the nature of the Bible that you hold in your lap or, or is on your phone or is on the screen. We'll look at the nature of the Word of God, and then we're going to look a little bit at our relationship with the Word of God, what we should be doing with the Word of God on a regular basis. When, when we talk about the nature of the Word, there are four words that we're going to look at today. The authority of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture, and finally, the sufficiency of Scripture. So let's start with, with the word authority. And for each of these, I'm going to give you a definition, and the definition comes from that nice, thick theology book by Wayne Grudem that I showed you early in the series. He writes, the authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. We hold in our hands the Word of God. And that Word of God is given to us to be listened to and to be obeyed. It is the authority in our life. Our, our, our statement of faith literally says that the Bible is the authority in our lives for every matter of faith and practice. Whenever we want to know what we do, we don't, we don't, we don't call a, a, you know, a church expert somewhere out there, some leader of a denomination, and say, what should we do or, or how should we live? We turn to the Word of God. Time and time again, if you're wondering about something, is this true or is that true, I'm going to keep coming back to the same thing. Not, you know, not what did Chuck Swindoll say, not what did Dr. Stanley say, or so, what does the Word of God say? What is in the Bible about this? The Bible is our authority for faith and practice. And part of the reason it's our authority is because of inspiration. The Bible is an inspired book. Now, I'm not saying it's an inspiring book. Okay, yes, it is an inspiring book. But so is poetry by Emerson. We're not talking about being inspiring. We're talking about being inspired. Inspired means that God breathed these words. The Greek word, I'm not doing Greek words today, Claudia. You can breathe. <laughs> the Greek word, the Greek word for this is literally two words smashed together. God breathed. That's inspired. God breathed his word out. He breathed his word out for us through a process known as inspiration. Now, I talked about the way that the, the role of the Spirit and the role of the word come together. This, this gives us a beautiful example. We were talking last week about being filled in the Spirit, so guided by the Spirit that we're doing the Spirit's work, we're fulfilling the Spirit's mission. These people who wrote Scripture, while still fully human... <laughs> while still employing their own personality and their own experiences, were guided by the Spirit, were carried along by the Spirit in such a way that as they wrote those words, they were writing the very words of God. They weren't, they weren't dictated to them. The Spirit was filling them, breathing into them, that they might write for us the Word of God. We see this in 2 Timothy 2. I went back a little bit to verse 14. I love this. Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, For you... 
continue in what you've learned to become convinced of because you know from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you, were, you have known the holy scriptures which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says all scripture is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is a special book. There is no other book in all of the universe like it. It is the Word of God. Peter says the same in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no scripture, prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along, borne along. You can almost feel the wind in the sails, carried along by the Holy Spirit. This word is authoritative because it is God's word to us. And we're to look into it, we're to read it, we're to study it, and then we're to live it, we're to obey it. So we see first the authority of Scripture. How about secondly, the clarity of Scripture? Here's the definition of clarity. The clarity of Scripture means that the Bible is written in such a way that it is able to be understood. But right understanding requires time, Effort, the use of ordinary means, a willingness to obey, and the help of the Holy Spirit, and our understanding will remain imperfect in this lifetime. I like that he adds that. By the way, you're not going to get it all here. You're not going to get it all until you're there. But you can work to know Scripture. The clarity of Scripture is so important because there have been denominations and church leaders through the years that have taught this. Hey, you common people, you shouldn't be touching a Bible. You'll mess it all up. Leave it to the professional. Leave it to the person with the education. Leave it to the person that's been ordained. Leave it to that person. They'll tell you what's going on, but don't you dare open up the book for yourself. And what's, what's amazing about that, you can see an element of control there, right? Because if only I can look at the secret book, I can tell you what it says, and you have to do what I say. But what if we all start looking at the secret book and we go, wait a second, that's not what that says. That's not what's going on there. God wants us all to be able to open the Word of God, look at it, and understand it. And He's written it in such a way that everyone has the ability to access it. Not just priests, not just pastors, not just professors. Everyone can look into the Word of God and understand it. Deuteronomy chapter 6 we talk about this verse at every baby dedication. These commands I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Your kid can understand the Bible. Your little kid can teach a pastor, hey, did you know he resurrected too? He didn't just die on the cross. Kids can understand the Bible. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Just be talking about the Word of God because your child has the ability to understand the Word of God. I love these words as well. Uh, Moses is talking to the people toward the end of his life. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It is not beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we might obey it? It's not beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we can obey it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart that you might obey it. 
He's saying this word is accessible to every person who opens it. In 2 Peter, Peter's talking about the word, and he's talking in particular about the writings of Paul. And you go down a little bit. He says, Paul writes about this salvation with great wisdom. And verse 16 says, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them on these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. I'm so glad Peter said that. Because there are some things I read in Paul and I'm going, I am signing up for that course in heaven. What in the world was he saying? Some things are hard to understand. He even says, ignorant people have taken some of Paul's teachings and twisted it and distorted it. Here's the thing. The Bible can be understood by everybody. But it's not an automatic, I open the book, boom, it's there, I get it. It requires some work. And it requires a relationship with the Spirit of God to understand what's happening there. And over time, you will grow more and more and more in your understanding of the Word of God. So when it comes to this clarity, you need to study. You need to study. And study leads to knowledge and content. I start, to, I start to know, oh yeah, that's in the book of Acts. Or I start to know a different concept. Content and knowledge starts to fill. I need time because in time, I grow in wisdom and discernment. I start to not just see what the word says, but I start to understand what the word means. I grow in obedience. Uh, application as well as the formation of Christ in me. I think this is where a lot of our Bible study falls apart because there's stuff we see in the Bible. We go, I don't want to do that. And the Spirit says, well, you're in time out until you do. And he just says, we're, we're not talking anymore until you do. Come on, obey, grow in obedience. And then there comes guidance, human guidance, maybe a pastor, maybe a small group leader, maybe a wise friend who helps to explain and disciple and mentor, but also divine guidance, the guidance of the Holy Spirit showing us what these words mean. I love this in Luke chapter 24. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and you can almost see all 12 of them staring at him going, I don't understand a word he's saying. And then it says in verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. He revealed it to them so that they could understand the words. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except a man's spirit within him? And in the same way, who knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God? We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand what God has freely given to us. He's freely given us his word, and the Spirit will help us to understand it. This is what we speak, not in words taught by a human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Verse 14 is so important. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. You all wonder why the world doesn't agree with the Bible because they're not in the spirit. They don't understand. They're the spirit of the flesh, not the spirit of God. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually understood. It's only through the spirit that we can understand. And he ends the whole passage by saying, but we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ helps us understand what the word of God has to say. So the Bible is authoritative, it also has tremendous clarity. The complicated word for that is perspicuity. Spell it. Perspicuity. Yeah, there you go. 
And then there's the necessity of Scripture. The necessity of Scripture means that the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, and for knowing God's will. Now get this part. But it is not necessary for knowing that God exists or knowing some things about God's character or moral laws. This is kind of mind-blowing. What's this saying? There are things that can be known about God without the Bible. The Bible says it. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. I can look at the sky and go, something did that. That, that didn't just, something did that. I can look at that and go, and the something that did that is pretty ingenious and pretty massive. I, I don't even have to look at a Bible. I can look at the sky to start to get an idea that someone out there is pretty amazing. And then I need the Bible to fill in the blanks to let me know the other parts. It's necessary. The Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel. Romans 10 goes on this, Paul goes on this great little rant. He says, how can they call on the one in whom they've not believed? How can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can someone preach without being sent? We need to get the word of God in people's hands so that they can know the gospel. It is through the word of God that we know what Jesus did for us so that we can have a relationship with God. It's also necessary for maintaining the spiritual life. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8 when he says it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. We are sustained by the word of God. We are spiritually sustained by the word of God. Moses, almost at the end of Deuteronomy, says to the people, take heart, Take to heart all these words I have solemnly declared to you today so that you may command them to your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. That's the word of God. It's not just words. It's not just idle words. This is your life. This is your life we're talking about. By them you will possess a long life in the land as you're crossing into the Jordan. And then this one, I, I had to throw this one in because... Boy, the only time Emmett cries is when he needs to eat. And he cries all the time. He loves to eat like newborn babies. Cry out, moan, mommy, I want to eat. Crave pure spiritual milk so that by you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The necessity of Scripture is also necessary for knowing God's will. How do I know what God wants for me? I, this is one of, I mean, I, I say one of my favorite verses, one among the, you know, 350,000 verses I really love. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are some things we will never know. They belong to God. Breathe. He's God. He can know it. Relax. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. There are things he has shown us and we can walk in them. So the scripture has authority, clarity, it is necessary, and finally it is sufficient. It is sufficient. The sufficiency of scripture means that scripture contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting in him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. You don't need anything else. 
You don't need anything else. This, is, this came out of the Reformation, a clarification of a doctrine that was there all along, sola scriptura, the Bible alone. You don't, need, you don't need church teaching. You don't need all of these other things. The Word alone is sufficient for everything we need for faith and practice. There are no additions necessary. Scripture is sufficient. We're not waiting for some further revelation. We're not waiting for someone to give us a further prophecy. Nothing. We We have everything we need. Peter says it beautifully. By his divine power, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Not everything until something else comes along. Everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us all we need. Authority and clarity, necessity and sufficiency. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of excited about getting to know this book. So how do I do that? What does it look like? Because, you know, I pull it out, I open it up, and I go, oh, Leviticus. Here we go. I, I am right now listening through Leviticus, and there is so much blood. I mean, putting blood on priest's toes, all this stuff, and I'm like, what's going on here? You know, I, I need to understand more of what's happening in Scripture. Basic Bible study looks like this. I observe, I interpret, and I apply. I look at what's there. What do I see? What's in this passage? We've talked about this before, that the basic unit of thought in Scripture is not a verse. It's the paragraph. That's the basic unit of thought. Uh, King James' Bible was divided into verses, and so it seemed like a bunch of separate verses. But even in that one, you'd notice every once in a while there would be a paragraph marker and a bold number as opposed to just a regular number. It was their way of saying, new paragraph new paragraph, new paragraph. So if I want to study, I'm going to look at a paragraph or maybe even look at a chapter. I'm going to look at a segment of Scripture to try to understand what's going on. And as I do, I'm going to start to observe. I'm just going to look. What do I notice? What do I notice here when I'm reading? What are the words? You know, you can't read 1 John and not see love, 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 light, dark, light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. You start seeing these patterns. You're like, wow, this guy really loves the word love. This guy really loves the word light. What's going on there? So you look at the words. You look at contrast. Contrast like light and dark. Things that are going on in the different words that are placed there. You look at context. It's not, I'll tell you what, there are, we could get in a lot of trouble if we just looked at certain verses outside of the rest of what it says around it. You got to understand the context. What's the action going on? What's happening in this passage? Who are the characters? What are the events? And what part of history are we in? Because the Bible covers a couple thousand years. What part of history are we in now? So you're just noticing. You might have a notebook and you're just taking down everything you notice, the questions you have, what's going on here, what do I need to understand? So you observe. Then we move to interpreting. Interpreting is probably where it gets a little tougher. You got to do some work and study to understand what interpreting looks like. But let me give you some basics. You got to look up some definitions. And what's beautiful about the times in which we live, this is accessible to everyone. You know, there there are online concordances and everything else that you can look up, online Bible dictionaries that you can look up the meaning of a word, not just for us, but for them. What does this verse mean? So you're looking at key words. You're looking at the usage of the word. Like I said, you're looking at context. And then the other thing you're looking at is the type of literature. 
What, what style of literature is here today? The Bible is not a single style of literature. I'm not going to get into all of it today. But you have everything from apocalyptic literature to historical literature. You have all gospels. They're all different. So what's going on here? Let me just say, like, types of literature. Let's say you're in a type of literature that's known as narrative. Narrative is just telling the story. The history passages are, they're, they're narrative. They're just telling the story. And sometimes somebody will do something in the story and you go, what? This guy has 16 wives. And you're like, God's good with that? No, all it's doing is telling the story. It's not saying this is good, this is bad. You got to look at another part of Scripture to find out, you're not supposed to do that. Don't do that. What is wrong with your head? So the type of literature helps us to understand how am I supposed to understand what's written here? Further, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Trying to understand what Paul's saying? I might want to find out what Peter says about it too and what Luke says about it. I'm using Scripture to interpret Scripture. I'm getting down to the author's intent. What did the author mean when he wrote this? And for whom was it written? Because sometimes Scripture is written in such a way that it promises for all of us, and sometimes it's written to a specific group of people. Uh, the, the, the promise that we, will, that we will inherit the nation of Israel is not for us. It was for the Israelites. You don't go over there now, give me my land. I have a stake over here. God said it. No, it was for a specific group of people at that time. Is this referring to someone specific in that moment? Or is it a broader promise for all of us? To whom is it written? This one, we talk about this. I, I try to bring it up at least once a year because this gets a little confusing. You look at the law, the law that was handed down to the Israelites. And people will mock us sometimes. They'll be like, oh, you believe that about marriage? Oh, you believe this? Well, do you believe that you should wear fabric that has two different kinds of fabric in it? Do you, do you believe you should stone your child if they're disobedient? And they mock, and you're like, and you, I, we do it every time. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. There are different kinds of laws given in different situations to different people. So in here, you have moral laws, civil laws, and ceremonial laws. Ceremonial laws pertain to the religion of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. You don't see me sacrificing a lamb this morning. We don't have to. The lamb was sacrificed on Calvary. One and done. And all those sacrifices pointed to coming of Jesus. And when that was done, so were those laws. They were fulfilled. There are civil laws that pertain just to the nation of Israel, not to all of us. Now, here's what's cool. We, as a government, can look at those laws and say, God knows what he's talking about. Maybe we'll adopt some of those. And we have the, the law of Moses is throughout American law. It's crazy. But again, that's a civil law given to that specific government at that, at that time. Moral law, it's here to stay. It never changes it doesn't go, oh my goodness, God doesn't say, I never imagined America in 2023 would look like this. Well, let them eat cake, do what they want. No, the, the moral law applies throughout human history. So this helps us. Observe, interpret, apply. How should I live? I've always loved spec. The spec is great. I'm reading this passage. Is there a sin I'm supposed to avoid? Is there something here that I'm supposed to, whoa, don't do that, Dennis. No 16 wives. Okay, got that. Is there a promise to claim? Is there something being said in this passage today that God's saying, I'm talking to you? 
Is there an example to follow? Did somebody do something that was just mind-blowingly exemplary? Or did somebody do something that was really biblically dumb and we go, I'm not doing that? Is there a command to obey? And then I like the, second, the final one, K. Is there, is there something more that I can know about God? Something more that I can know of his character? I can read the, every time I read a paragraph of the Bible, I can ask, I can ask these spec questions. And, and you know what? They're pretty easy to get in your head over time. You don't even have to have them written down over time. Your mind just thinks spec. Is there a sin? Is there a promise? Is there an example? So let's just end with this. We've talked in the past. In fact, we did a whole series in the fall on the Bible. Bible intake is really important. If you are only getting Bible on Sunday morning, you are so spiritually malnourished, you belong on a poster, you know, just, oh, decrepit and deficient, and I'm about to die. I have so little spiritual food. It's, it's just bad news. You need more food than what you get here. You need more food, and you need to learn how to pick up a fork and eat. We need to learn how to, how to bring the food in. So what do I need to do? I need to take in some part of the Bible daily. I say daily, okay, regularly, and daily is a pretty good regular. So take in some part of the Bible every day. If the Spirit is guiding me, helping me, you're going to be amazed at how many times you're going to read something, and later in the day, there's going to be a moment you're going to go, I'm so glad I read that today. Daily intake of some sort, systematic intake. I love working my way through the Bible every year. Maybe it's not working your way all the way through the Bible, it's working your way through a book, working through Mark, working through, uh, one of my favorites is uh, the book of Proverbs, in an ingenious way, is divided into 31 chapters. You can literally read the chapter of the day. Today's February 19th, right? So read chapter 19 today. Tomorrow, read chapter 20, and you just read a chapter of Proverbs every day. And the sayings there are just, boy, if you don't get something out of Proverbs, you're sleeping through your reading. There's always something there. And then what's your next step? Maybe right now you're not doing anything. I'm telling you what, a verse a day is better than nothing. You're doing a verse a day, it's time to amp up to a chapter. You're doing a chapter, it's time to take in a little bit more. Maybe it's not always about quantity. Maybe it's about what am I doing with it, that I'm digging in a little bit more than I did before. You need God's Word. If, if you're choosing to live apart from God's Word, in a sense, you're choosing to live apart from God. This is the way the Spirit guides us through life. Pick it up. Get it in. Drink in the Word of God. Father God, we pray today that we would be moved not just to admire all the Bibles that we have around our house, but to open them and read them and live them. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. You're an amazing God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you walk to communion this morning, why don't you walk with a spirit of thanks? Thanking God that, that he didn't just leave us with the sky to look at and say, wow, someone out there must be amazing, but he gave us a book to say, and this is who I am and what I look like. Thank him today that he revealed the path of salvation to you. Thank him today that his spirit works in cooperation with you so that you can understand the words and you don't have to rely on a pastor or priest or professor in order to understand what the word of God has to say. Just give some thanks for the word today. Uh, this, we're about to, next Sunday, move into the first Sunday of Lent, which means this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And I thought what a good way to start would be a series of very short uh, video reflections, prayerful reflections. So we'll do one of these every week. And when it's done, 
We'll go ahead and walk to communion and we'll start to sing together. Lord, today I examine my motives, laid bare before you. My prayers stripped of their eloquence, my giving drenched with the need for others' approval, my fasting often needy for attention. Perhaps my unholiness is not even revealed to me. My hard heart can't see through itself. But you, in your perfect purity, ask me to examine how I pray and why. Why I give and to whom. To whom I fast and where. Lord, I confess that I fall far short. But as I look into your eyes, I understand that you are perfection for me. If I cling to you in prayer, in giving, and in fasting, in life, I am clinging to the one whose heart is pure and whose motives will always be aligned with the Father's. Amen. It's the first time I sang that song, not having to imagine what Emmett looks like. And to be able to sing it to him and over him. God bless and keep this little child and his children and his children and his children. You know, it's not just a pretty song. It's straight from the Word of God. Not every word of it. They, they had some fun, right? They went vamping like they do. Lord, bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you and give you peace. It's found in Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27. And God's speaking, he says, it says, the Lord gave this blessing to Moses to give to Aaron and his sons to give to his people. I love the way it just comes flowing down from heaven to his people. So here's your assignment this week. We're talking about the word of God. What does it mean to turn your face towards someone? What, what does it mean to be kept? There, there are lines right there in that passage. Dig into it. Don't you? I hope the next time you sing it and you're singing the word amen, you know what the word amen means and you don't just think is we can eat now. <laughs> Look up the meanings. Find out what it says. And the next time we sing this song, you're going to go, oh my word, God is turning his face toward me. And I'm enjoying the peace that comes from that relationship with God. So, be blessed. We'll see you.